Welcome to In Conversation with Ziegwerk, the brand new podcast adding a little more color to your day. I'm Carla, your host for today. And with me, I have a very special guest, Alina Mom. Alina, welcome. Tell us a bit more about yourself. Thank you, Carla, for the introduction and the invite. I'm Alina. I'm, I'm leading the Circle Economy Hub at Zeekwerk. And as such, it is my pleasure to guide and lead um, Zeekwerk through the transformational journey um, towards Circle Economy. Um, maybe a little bit of background on myself. So I'm a holistic thinker by training. So I studied uh, political sciences, law, and have an MBA from Oxford. In my professional life, I'm really a change practitioner, let it be through um, project management or strategic transformations. And as such, I'm, I'm happy to be in the middle of a transforming industry, actually. Nice. Yeah, it's exciting times. And it's quite a diverse background that you have. So you are now leading the CE hub at Zigvac. So let's start with a little bit of context, because I think this could be puzzling or on the minds of some people. Why would a family-owned company that produces inks and coatings be pursuing such a strong circular economy objective? Yeah, maybe to start a little bit with some value chain perspective. So inks and coatings that um, go on packaging means that we're really within the value chain of packaging. And um, whoever has followed uh, the news and, and probably especially the past two years has noticed that packaging really has its negative effects uh, for all the benefits it serves, especially when we look at plastic packaging. So as part of this value chain of, of packaging, um, Zeekwerk has a responsibility to look at what did the products at the end of life, but also throughout the value chain, cause not only for positive effects, but also for negative effects. So there is sort of a key understanding that we want to act responsibly, we want to act sustainably. And I think especially for a family-owned company, this has, has high priority. The other aspect of it, of course, is that we look at circular economy from a business perspective, and I think that's really, really important. And as such, there are mainly two perspectives we, we take on that. One, we look at sort of it from a risk mitigating perspective. If you are part of a value chain of contested or possibly contested product, you want to make sure that uh, you take out that as a business risk, but really make sure that you offer a product um, that has full positive effect with as little as possible negative effects. And in addition to this risk perspective, circular economy also means an opportunity space, in our opinion, if you do it deliberately and strategically with anything that is sort of in disruption and that is being challenged. There are many new opportunities in there that we want to also try to leverage from a business perspective. So would you say that Zigver could be a disruptor in the space? Would we be a disruptor? That's a very good question. I think we can sort of be a pioneer and show that it's possible. And I think in some areas, uh, disrupt aspects of the value chain. Will it be us alone disrupting the entire industry of packaging? Uh, that might be a little far-fetched. And also, it's always more than one company in the circular economy and creating this transformation. It's really several companies coming together and being joint disruptors, uh, if, if you would want to put it that way. Yeah, definitely. And I personally also, I, f I find myself very drawn to 
the fact that it might not be something that you would immediately associate with an inks and coatings company. But the fact that Zegrek has taken the stance has been personally appealing to me and I think probably a lot of other employees at Zegrek. Yeah. So, I mean, the way I see it, a lot of companies might just do, and a lot of companies do, just sort of take the approach of doing this internal assessment or they hire a consultant to do it and then they develop a strategy and they're just done with it. But I feel very encouraged that Zigwerk has created this team of experts in the Circular Economy Hub, which is what you're leading at the moment. What does that say to you about Zigrug's position when it comes to this topic? It shows for me full commitment. And to be fully transparent, the CE Hub is only one part of sort of the commitment and the invest. We have a global team of 40 change agents that promote and support circular economy in the regions. We have a new ventures department that works on sort of new business models. And of course, everybody in the business units, uh, so in the day-to-day operations, who incorporate the the strategy and the ideas in their operations. So there is commitment and it's much more than just a CE hub. Another thing I want to point out here, just because you mentioned consultants earlier, I was actually part of an external consulting team developing the circular economy strategy for Zikvac before I joined Zikvac and so to say switched, switched sides, if you want to put it that way. And sort of Having both experiences, so looking at Zikrak from an outside perspective and now from inside perspective, I can only say that it has been really inspiring to be part of this journey. Um, Zikvac was very deliberate about getting external voices and external expertise in this very critical phase of understanding what does circular economy mean for us as a company, because it is a fairly easy concept, but it's still sort of once you want to translate it into the applicability for one company, it needs some thought and it needs some work to create strategic clarity. And having somebody from outside um, supports that that journey perfectly. And I think why I'm, I'm so inspired by Zikvag because I really saw how sort of in the early days it was very abstract and it moved to concrete business ideas, concrete product ideas, and ultimately really led Zikvag to positioning itself strategically new by setting the target of becoming a circular and digital packaging solutions company by 2025. And that is full commitment. And seeing this full commitment also ultimately convinced me that uh, whatever I put on PowerPoint slides now as a consultant, I really want to make the uh, proof of principle that we can bring this into practice. And that circular economy really is a concept for companies as well to move towards more sustainable business models. And that that is possible within established corporations as well, and not only in the startup world. So yeah, it's an honor to have been on this journey with Seekvac from from two perspectives. And um, they really convinced me to see it through, so to say. Yeah, it's also really beneficial because I think often there's a sort of a mismatch in that what is seen externally fails to become internalized. And so to take somebody who had that external view and actually physically internalize them into the heart of this change, I think is really beneficial to the company too. So I think we benefit very much from your expertise there too. But this happened very quickly in terms of 
getting you on board, getting the CE hub established and also getting the change agents that you spoke about on board. And it's still shifting quite quickly. And it's also a very big shift. But obviously, we understand that this is necessary and it's very encouraging and that it's very forward thinking. But as you said, we do need to collaborate together. We cannot disrupt this industry or the segments that we have that we touch on um, alone. So do you think lags in commitments or investment from other decision makers in this value chain could pose a problem? Of course, sort of every player in the value chain has a different degree of dynamic and a different level of commitment. Um, that's not a secret. But let me be very clear that sort of in general, there's no gap in committed partners. So, I mean, alone this week, I think I had three calls, uh, very good calls and conversations with partners along the value chain to see how we can partner. And that's not unusual. I think the challenge is, is much more finding the right partner for whatever you want to achieve and also find out how does this value chain collaboration actually work so how do we work together when suddenly a customer maybe becomes a co-supplier or a competitor becomes a co-supplier or maybe even a customer so the old order is shifting and with it sort of i think our way of thinking and acting in a value chain has to shift as well and i think nobody's really figured it out yet but we're all learning along the way and having sort of committed partners on board to learn this together i think is really important one other thought sort of if we think about sort of uh, quantity versus quality i think as a company like zikvac that holds true for many companies in the value chain if there are a few really meaningful and sort of highly qualitative um, collaborations along the value chain that can showcase, you know what, we can actually do it differently while representing our business interests, while changing and addressing the problem at hand, that can then have a great trickle-down effect. So I'm really looking at sort of what are the value-creating collaborations and following through and making sure they are a success, rather than trying to work together with everybody at all times. That's probably also very practically just not um, feasible. And also sort of even with sort of companies or players that are approaching the topic sort of as we speak, there is no being too late to the game. It's an ongoing game. There are a lot of uh, sort of uh, moves we haven't figured out yet. So everybody who's joining the circle is somebody who's going to contribute and is somebody who's welcome. And yeah, again, everybody brings something else to the table. And I'm, I'm seeing more and more responsibility and commitment and ownership uh, of the topic which is great yeah definitely and as you said even though it's a learning curve and everybody's kind of learning together and we haven't cracked everything yet we are seeing a lot of innovation in the space and including from Zigvex. so with Zigvex's core circular economy strategy components being designed for less and designed for recycling the focus is very much design and therefore oriented towards that innovation. So what are some of the innovation opportunities for inks and coatings that Zigberg is pursuing? 
Yeah. So from a product innovation perspective, we look at our products of being an enabler for reducing, reusing and recycling. I mean, there's a lot going on. We have a pipeline of technology development project that is uh, sort of cuts through the, the 100 project numbers. So I just wanted to sort of highlight a, a few key areas. One is the reuse space. If we think about sort of the vast quantity of packaging that we're still putting on the market every day and consuming every day and hence becoming waste every day. Recycling is not the only thing we can focus on. We really have to think about how can we actually limit the material and the product that is entering the system. And there we use is a very prominent and also promising promising model. And here, if you think about um, inks and coatings and reusable packaging, every packaging is branded. And even if it's not uh, branded, it has to have some kind of product information on it so that you know which flavor of ice cream it is or which ingredients you have. And this is really where we can come into play by offering sort of last mile customization, printing and ink solutions but also thinking about how can you take the ink off the packaging again before it's then uh, reprinted and rebranded and, and reused. So this is something we look at, and this is also something where we can sort of source from our traditional business units and sort of, uh, yeah, apply what we already know in, in a new setting, which is fantastic. So the other big area that people are looking at at the moment for very good reasons is paper packaging. There are two components in there. One is making sort of existing paper packaging more recyclable, but the other trend is moving from plastic packaging to recyclable paper packaging. And here the big challenge is that, um, especially with the switch from plastic to paper, paper in itself is sort of a material that doesn't have a lot of functionality. If you think about greasy food or a liquid, um, paper has some natural limitations to it that I think we're all aware of. And here, 2020 was really a year where we invested a lot of R&D resources in developing so-called barrier coatings for paper. So ultimately, these are coatings that are applied to the paper and give it functionalities and resistance against water, grease, and a few others that really enable and promote the use of paper while it being recyclable or and or compostable. The other area that we see very prominently and where we've invested a lot of time is making plastic packaging more recyclable. Plastic has a great value proposition as a material. Plastic is a great material. The question is, how can we use it responsibly and consciously? And one aspect of that is increasing the recyclability of plastic. And one big trend here is switching from what we refer to as multi-plastic or multi-material structures to monoplastic structures. What does that mean? That means that instead of having sort of a PE with a PET that might be metallized, to move to just a PE in the packaging. This is really important for recycling because only if you have sort of materials one by one nicely sorted, um, you can actually recycle them in practice and achieve an output material that can be used again. And here are sort of a few areas we invested um, a lot of development efforts into 
One is sort of how do you process a pack and how do you put together the packaging design in this new setup and sort of sealing is a topic, then protecting ink layers is a topic against scratching, for example, machinability is a topic. All the things are not visible to the consumer uh, necessarily, but that are really, really important in making monoplastic and recyclable plastic a success along the value chain. Another topic that we're looking into very intensively is also how can you give a monoplastic the functionality it needs? Because to be very clear, all this multi-plastic, multi-material setups that we still see a lot in the market, they are there because they provide a certain functionality. And hence, again, if we want to move to a different pack structure, we have to replicate this functionality and also there providing printable and recyclable barriers for monoplastics is something we're looking at. And then the last big topic for recyclable plastic is how can we foster the de-inking of plastic packaging? Just quickly to understand why is that so important? Why is it so important to not only talk about printing, but also taking the ink back off? The reason for that is that the inks um, have an impact on the quality of the recyclate, so the recycled uh, material that comes out of the recycling process. In the best case, it's only sort of looks that you often have this grayish, greenish, brownish material. In the worst case, it really means also an impact on the quality and the machinability, processability of the output material. So we're really looking into not how many can you get ink on a product, but also how can you get inks off a product? And there's sort of some product innovations with primers that really help this move ahead. I want to outline one thing quickly because this is really, really important for circular economy when you think about innovation. Product innovation is one part and thinking about product innovation differently, starting sort of from the end of life perspective um, and sort of uh, designing backwards almost, that's crucial. But also innovation means business model innovation. So how can we deliver a utility into the market um, differently? This is really, really key. And also here we've, uh, we've focused very explicitly on creating business models that close a need in the circular um, in the circular value stream and this is something that our new ventures unit is doing so we're really thinking about businesses business models and how can they serve a circular packaging industry with something that has not been around yet very exciting developments and a lot to look forward to you mentioned the investments that Zeekberg has made in 2020. So that brings me to my next question and my last question. Obviously, 2020 was a very challenging year for everyone. We are still in the throes of this pandemic. And many people think it was a great year for the environment. It was a great year for climate change mitigation. But in truth, there were very many setbacks. And given that reality, what should we be focusing on as an industry in the immediate future, in your opinion? Yeah. 
Yeah, so I agree with you. There is a huge danger that because sort of emissions went down in 2020, that we say, oh, this was really helpful for the environment and sort of lose focus um, challenge ahead. And actually, sort of if you look sort of into the subsection of packaging, especially plastic packaging, it was a really terrible year. So one of the reasons uh, being much more single-use plastic was actually used or single-use packaging because we're all at home and um, we don't shop in bulk containers like a restaurant or a canteen would do. We shop in sort of uh, single-use um, small packaged um, packs. The other big challenge sort of uh, in addition to increasing the amount of waste that we generated uh, last year and well leading into this year is that the oil prices plummeted um, to, uh, I think, historical lows. And this is a real problem from a circular economy perspective because that means that the virgin price or the price for virgin plastic plummeted as well. Why is that a problem? That is a problem because the costs for recycling stayed the same. And actually sort of within COVID times for some recyclers went up because of course they also had to implement other shift models and, and be sure to keep their workforce safe. Um, and hence, sort of the business case for recycling actually got much worse in 2020. Luckily, we're seeing prices of oil go go up again slowly. But that was a huge, huge hit for an industry, recycling industry that is not working on high margins. So they can't buffer that um, that much. And also sort of while we are all sitting very comfortably in, in our home offices and uh, might um, experience that as a nuisance, I just want to focus attention really to the huge quantity of workers in the informal waste sectors. For those people, the pandemic really, really had far-reaching consequences. Just imagine you're an informal waste collector or picker, and suddenly your country is put under lockdown. So you now have the decision to make, do I go out and pick waste, even though I'm not allowed to, to feed my family? Or do I stay home and uh, hence lose my only source of income? And please remember, this is informal income. So there's no compensation if you don't work. It's sort of your day's work that you're being paid for. And the sort of personal strategy then expands to a more communal tragedy is that actually the collection rates went way down because people stayed home to protect themselves and their families, meaning waste accumulated in the environment and leading to all or intensifying all these negative effects that we're already seeing, of course, from, from leakage into the ocean, open burning and other consequences of the pollution that waste brings with it. And this is something uh, it's easy to overlook, but uh, that was a tremendous impact in 2020. You also asked of what are we supposed to focus on? And I think it is really important to continue and continue full speed, full power with everything that has been going on, the movements that we've been seeing. And just to maybe sort of give it a positive note, um, note as well, despite sort of the challenges that 2020 brought, we've seen an increasing number of businesses really focusing on the topic of their environmental and, and social impact, not only in the circular space, but also sort of in, in the broader 
um, environmental space. And so the most recent number I have is that between 2019 and 2020, the number of companies pledging to a net zero target has actually doubled, which I think is really good. And now these pledges have to become reality. The other thing I sort of want to feed in here as sort of a positive note is that we've seen some COVID relief political um, schemes actually be tied to sort of a, a green comeback, a green rebound, uh, let it be sort of DEU, but we also see that in other regions. And I think that shows nicely that more and more we're understanding that it's not sort of economic development or environment, economic development or considering social aspects, but that it really has to go hand in hand because otherwise it's not going to work out in the long run or even the mid run um, looking at the crisis we're, we're facing. So yeah, 2020 was not a great year in many aspects, um, but also it, it showed uh, me that people, companies, um, politicians can keep the eye on the ball even in this turbulent, um, turbulent times. I mean, just one last thought um, that is really sort of often in the back of my mind. Also, if I look at Ziegvac, for example, we were able within sort of a minimum amount of time, I mean, we're talking a few weeks to shift the way we're working, to shift supply chains. And we made the impossible possible because we were agile. We tried out new things because we had to. We were forced to. There was no choice. But it shows we can do that. We can adapt quickly. And I think if we use last year as also a source of confidence that we can try out new things and some might fail, but a lot of them will stick and will show us a way forward. And if we can translate to all the activities that we need to solve a, a climate and a plastic crisis as a society, I, I remain positive and I'm reluctant to become pessimistic. <laughs> Yeah, I 100% agree with you. There's a lot to learn. I mean, obviously, there's a lot that we've lost and a lot to be despondent over. But as you brought up so beautifully, it's we also have much to learn from it and much to be hopeful about in terms of those lessons learned. So I'm going to end it there. Alina, thank you so, so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank and you. to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. And please look out for future episodes on this topic and on many others.